0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: It is Thursday, which means it's time for the front Three Q and A podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Dave O'Brien. Boom, back again. Boom. Uh, Lawrence Buchanan is here as well. Hey, Hayden. As is the man himself, Chris Henrich. I always
0: want
2: to rap like Marcus does. I don't know why, but I, it I is. Need a, to get it this. is a,
0: the Marcus intro
1: is just. It's hard to beat. It is hard. To beat. It is um, classic high standards to live up to to be set guys thank you so much for listening we are going to be reviewing the Premier League action we're also going to be talking all the latest transfer news a lot of transfer uh, bits and bobs going on we're also going to be doing a little preview of the FA Cup this weekend as well as taking your questions from Twitter before all that though we have to do whole of the week comment of the week whole of the week this week is who's Trev Uh, who wrote in on iTunes that's a very nice review and it simply says what a great podcast Statman Dave, what a specimen! The world of stats will never be the same. Thanks, guys, for a fantastic podcast and for getting me to and from work. Who's Trevor?
3: Thank you very much, sir, for your review, Dave. So many questions, so little time. Dave, are you driving this man to work? <laughs> he works somewhere else actually. I've rented out the, uh, the kitchen during the day. So, it's so skinny these days. So it's, yeah, it's me and me and Trevor Pauls it all makes sense it all makes sense uh, Trev, thank you very much for your review so that's why he knew the specimen
1: that you did was in the, the specimen. fridge. specimen
3: yeah okay
1: exactly uh, what a review uh, deservedly hold of the week if you want to be hold of the week do you get your reviews in on iTunes uh, leave us a little rating as well be very much appreciated um, right let's talk Premier League of course last night Tottenham Hotspur beat Chelsea 2-0 at White Hart Lane ending Uh, Their chances of a 14-game winning run, uh, that would have equaled the record. Of course, they have got the 13-game winning streak, which uh, equals uh, the record in a a single season. But a fantastic win for Spurs, um, given the animosity between the two clubs now. Obviously fantastic to end that record for Chelsea. Uh, It was a brilliant performance, has to be said. Chelsea, they were not at their best. Um, They were dangerous in the opening of the first half when Eden Hazard was clean through. Probably didn't realise how much time he had. Probably should have taken it down uh, and maybe put it away in those first few minutes. They also were dangerous to start the second half when they were pressing for the equaliser. But Spurs played an extremely high level. I mean, Deli Alley, of course, took the headlines once again. Uh, that's a third brace in three consecutive games for him. Um, but I applauded it also I should you go to Danny Rose, who was superb once again. Christian Eriksen, who... Frustrated a lot of Spurs fans at the first part of the season, but has really hit his stride now. Got himself two assists last night. Victor Wanyama dominating midfield. Um, And of course, the team is instantly stronger for having uh, Toby Aldovero back uh, in the defence. And it feels like the intensity uh, is back once again for Spurs. Um, But tactically, Dave, what did you make of the game? Because obviously Pochettino matched Chelsea's formation with three at the back, and they seemed to cancel each other out for, for most of the first half. But it ended up working pretty perfectly for Spurs.
3: Well, it's, it was a simple move from um, Pochettino, in, in essence, of how to attack this Chelsea team. This Chelsea team is quite weak through the middle centrally. You know, you're thinking of the the back three usually taken up by a single forward or you know or two forwards, and it's those two central midfielders is how you can get at this Chelsea team, and that's exactly what Spurs did, and they just overloaded that zone with Victor Wanyama and then Moussa Dembele's energy and aggression and ability to carry the ball. You know, the amount of times that Kante was bouncing off him, it was getting a bit ridiculous. But if you look at both of the goals, they're pretty much exactly the same goal. And it's something that Spurs must have worked on in training. Yeah, Christian Eriksen picking up in the inside right channel, crossing to in between the right wing, wing back and the right back. Uh, sorry, the right wing back and the right centre back for Chelsea. That same space, two times the same goal. But Dele Alley, you know what is? His level of performance in recent weeks has been absolutely incredible. What, six goals in just three games, uh, three braces in a row? Like you said, what he had never scored two braces in a row in his career. Now he's scored three braces in a row. But I think Christian Eriksen and Dele Alli have both been in really, really good form. In the last three games, Christian Eriksen has been directly involved in 23 shots on goal, which is pretty incredible for any player. It is interesting that...
1: This formation also seems to bring the rest of of Delhi Alley As you say, I mean, he doesn't necessarily put his stamp on a game in terms of, of build-up play or creativity, but you know, he himself said he didn't influence the game in the way he won last night. But he is clinical in front of the goal, especially with his head, as we've seen in the last few games, uh, perfectly in the system, as I said, where he's almost like a second striker, Dave. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of
3: a second striker, but kind of not in a way, he's he's a bit deeper. He's more of a Frank Lampard than an Antoine Griezmann. I'd say Antoine Griezmann's probably second striker that is making that move from, uh, you know, from more of a just behind the strike, or as I said, Dele Alli would be a little bit deeper. Although Christian Eriksen and Dele Alli did play off Harry Kane yesterday. It was quite an interesting system, the 3-4-2-1 that um, Pochettino was playing with. But Dele Alli, you know, incredible, because his form at the start of the season was quite poor. You know, him and Eriksen were both really poor, and they finally... Um, you know, kicking on this season, it's all coming together for them. And they were brilliant against Watford, fantastic mm. against Chelsea. And I think it's, um, you know, it's going to keep going and I'd quite like to talk a little bit about the wing-backs as well, because Danny Rose and Carl um, Walker both played very, very well against Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh,
3: you know, you said this on, uh, on the Monday podcast, how important they've
1: come for the team. And as you said, it was an interesting matchup. up the sort of the, the, the four in midfield. You've
3: got Wanyama and Dembele
1: obviously in the middle. But
3: as you say, Carl
1: Walker and Danny Rose were just exceptional last night, weren't they?
3: Yeah, they're really good. I think it's, you know, you kind of look at systems that play wing-backs and they do need to be, um, you know, the wing-back is a, is a weird role, let's say. It's very difficult to be a good wing-back and a good full-back. Spurs have got two players that can do that, both, um, you know, Carl Walker and Danny Rose. I think the battle was, um, the big battle was Danny Rose versus Victor Moses, who's played very well this season, but for me, got a little bit exposed. Got exposed against Manchester City in, in a similar way where they were exploiting his defensive um, fragility and, and his... Sometimes his ball-watching, both of the goals, you know, you could say he was ball-watching. He potentially should have picked up Deli Allen. it was similar. There were a few times where City got in behind him um, with clip balls over the top, but I thought that um, Alonso did very well. It was just stick to Moses versus um, Rose where it really sort of spurs had that advantage because the battle between the other two was brilliant. Uh, uh, Sorry, Alonso versus Carl Walker. It was a fantastic battle of fitness, of one of them getting forward, one of them defending and I quite like to see that and I do like back three formations and I think it's something that Um, you know uh, the Premier League will start to do a lot more over the next few seasons I think we'll have a a tactically very very diverse league with the managers we've got Is it always
0: back threes though Dave? I mean it's not um, that's what I was uh, almost finished a documentary on Pochettino and uh, there's been a lot of talk in that about the versatility of his formations and sort of how long that's been around and sort of you know that that's harking back to the 80s and uh, you know Argentinian football those sort of things but uh, how the back three is really a back four but Pochettino makes it so much more fluid
3: I think that it's definitely a, a in system you know Pochettino does play a certain style of football very, you know you do play high octane you do play in one half of the pitch wherever the ball is when you've not got the ball you know you press very high and I think you can apply that to any formation I think that's what Um, Pochettino's done so well is that he can switch between a a four and a three and a a five at times yesterday and they still play the same aggressive football and they still know their roles on the team and that is credit to Pochettino in terms of him being you know speaking to the players obviously in training and identifying what they need to do because it was a different system against Watford they it was a clear three five two and this was a clear three four two one so that flexibility that Pochettino's showing, and, you know, the game before that, they played a 4-2-3 one. So they have played three systems in the last three games. They've won all of those three games, and they've played very, very, very well. And it's incredible. Pochettino, what a manager.
0: Hey, really- do you, do you, sorry, on. Adam. I, um, do you think it's so much that... Um, because I, someone um, was saying to me the other day, oh, I can criticise Pochettino, he's not very versatile. Um, or he doesn't change things uh, fast enough, and obviously that's been proven to be wrong this season. But um, it's almost as if people are misreading what Pochettino was trying to achieve. Um, why do you think there are times where it looks very clear, and why do you think there are times where it looks less clear? Because uh, it's only now that I'm really looking at it and trying to analyse it that it seems a lot more clear. I've had it explained by a number of sort of professionals, those sort of things. But the the interesting thing is that someone said the other day. It isn't even so much about the formation for Pochettino. It's about the, like you say, like the roles within that formation. So it's not, it's not so much the shape as the way the way that the players operate within the space.
3: Well, you know, you look at the the how Spurs play in the final third. It's all short tempo, high octane passing, a lot of runners. You know, from wide areas. The fullbacks do exactly the same thing as wingbacks. You know, when they're playing the four-two-three-one, the the three behind the striker get very narrow, and the fullbacks overlap. They do that in every single system. They'll do that when they're playing three at the back, when they're playing, you know, three-five-two. Whether they're playing a three-four-two-one uh, like they did last night, it's the same sort of roles for the players. But there's just like different numbers in there. That's why it's so fascinating. That's why it's so brilliant. You, know, you look at the four-two-three-one. They play it very narrow in the final third. You'll see Eriksen, Ali. Um, and son if he's playing or Lamella last season all very very narrow you look last night instead of playing three attacking midfielders they just played two and that's yeah. you know and that ability to be so versatile and play play the same sort of roles within the system and i think it's the what works so well is that last season some of the best stuff was between Dele Alli and christian eriksen and all they did last night was instead of playing them with another player in attacking midfield. it was the two of them and they combined the same way that they've always always been combining i think that's credit to pochettino and how he's got these players playing because i think spurs are they're ranked ninth i think in terms of wages in the premier league and there's a direct correlation between wages and where you finish in the league so spurs and pochettino are massively outperforming where they should be in the premier league right now and they have been doing that for a number of seasons now so credit to pochettino argentinian football at its finest Pochettino he's magic, you know.
1: Um, as for Chelsea, as Dave said, they'll be disappointed to concede basically the same goal twice. Uh, Deli Alli, as Dave said, finding space between Azpilicueta and the, the right centre-back. Um, obviously outplayed on the night, but at the same time, as Gary Cahill was pointing out after the game, they have equaled the record for consecutive game, uh, wins in a season. Obviously disappointing not to match their ball record. Um, and they do still have a five-point cushion at the top of the table. Um, with that in mind, Lawrence, I mean... Are you buying into the, the talk overnight that the tyre race has been blown wide open now with six teams sort of competing for the title? Um, well, I think six is a little far.
0: Um, But, I, I mean, I, I never thought it was close. Um, so I, I I don't think it's been blown wide open. Well, Robbie sense. Savage
1: was saying, let's hand the title to Chelsea now, you know, just get it over and done oh, with.
0: Sure, I mean, well, Robbie Savage's league, I'm sure, would be an excellent <laughs> one. Um.
2: Ryan Giggs would be
0: tough. <laughs> Every time. Um, although I've heard Ryan Giggs also likes other positions. Um, the, basically, uh, I, I, I never think it has been closed. That uh, You know, we knew that at some point Chelsea were going to get, in inverted commas, found out. Um, and it's, it is so fascinating when teams, I do wonder how much being on the cusp of something affects a team mentally. So, you know, the, the fifty-game streak that Arsenal got so close to, the record that Chelsea got close to, and they—you they, know—they were—they were so close to it, and they were playing so well in such good form. They did go in
1: as uh, as, as the side that should have won it. Yeah, I mean, it was—I saw some describe it as a shock victory. I'm not sure I quite agree with that. Uh, Spurs are undefeated at home this season, oh. and I think—I think part of it was how the level that Spurs played out. They were so up for it mentally, physically. They, they dominated the game in, in many respects for me. So I think um, it was difficult for, for Chelsea to match that for whatever reason. Um, I mean, on the title race talk, Chris, where do you think Spurs factor in? Because obviously they responded well to the, the disappointment of crashing out of the Champions League in, in November. It's now five wins in a row. Uh, where do they sit for you in this title race?
2: I think they're involved. And and I say that because they've got a real versatility to them. They've played eight different formations this season. And for all we can look at the Chelsea game, I think one of the key factors in the beating Chelsea was the fact that they had the full backs or in this case, the wing backs to do it. I think that alone could be the difference maker for them is that they've got a lot of players that can operate in central positions. You look at the likes of Eriksen Ali. I would even say Son. Uh, Dembele, guys that really work best when they're in the centre of the field can pop it around nice and short if you can keep Rose and Walker fit and manage to give them the protection they need to go forward then it just makes Spurs a lot more of a dangerous proposition Um, you've got to think as well, Lamella's still in there I don't think that the best of Suzoko's come at at this point there is also that concern about what happens if Harry Kane falls away because And when I say fall away, I mean injured, really, because he's just the perfect fit for this team at the head of it. There's no one I could think of right now who would work better in that striker role because he's a bit of a target man. He's argued a complete forward in a lot of ways. He's a poacher. There is there is so much versatility, even just in Kane's game, that makes him a danger. And I think this team, as a sort of, togetherness as a as an entire entity it's a brilliant team that has a lot of different options and i think the only frailty i can see in that is that having so many options means you also have so many potential mistakes you could make
1: where the question comes in from nikki james he says who is the most likely to win the league out of the outsiders uh, so second to sixth place he's specifically talking about he's essentially saying which of those <laughs> the outsiders being anyone but chelsea but which of those teams essentially are most likely to challenge Chelsea for the title at this stage? Because it is shaping up nicely, um, Dave. What do you reckon?
3: Well, I've got to stick to my uh, guns, haven't I? And I've got to say, Jose Mourinho's Manchester United because they're no, in some good form at there. the moment. I think he's gone there. The you form think... side in the Premier League, and it's, it's finally clicking. If they, you know, they can pick up a few more players in the in the window, I'd love to see a centre back. Although Rojo and Jones have been fantastic, you know, they've they've been paired together. United have gone on to win. 13, well, they've been undefeated in thirteen games. They're looking good. If United can get a player that could, you know, even push that even further, put that to a higher level, that would be pretty incredible. Or another elite forward or another midfield. You know, United have got money to spend and they, they could spend it Potentially, Mourinho won't spend it though because it is looking good. You know, the the depth of the squad is pretty pretty awesome. You think of the wing positions; they've got five players that can play in those positions. You think of the centre halves; there's uh, three players at the moment with Eric Bay off at the African Cup of Nations. Then you've got the two fullbacks. There's quite a lot of depth in this United squad now. Maybe in central midfield, if um, the likes of Morgan Schneiderlin or Marouane Fellaini is let go in in the window, I doubt Marouane Fellaini. But Morgan Schneiderlin's looking like he's going to go. Maybe bring another central midfielder in there. That could be quite good. But United, are there. You know they're only five points behind Liverpool in second, and they were at one point. I think they were like twelve points behind Liverpool or twelve points behind second position. So they're looking like they're in. You know they're, they're pushing forward in the league. Uh, what do you reckon, Lawrence? Who's going to push Chelsea closest?
0: Um, well, now Dave's advocated Manchester United. Um, it's it's good to have some comedy back on the podcast.
1: Um, I'm going to go. I, I've got to say though, to be fair to Dave, as he points out. They're not... I mean, they're only three points behind C. I think it's one stage they were nine points behind even more, potentially. No, I, I'm, um, obvi- and if we say C are in there...
0: Obviously, I'm being trite. Um, they're, a, they're a formidable you're side right a now.
1: Troll.
0: Um, no, I think it's unfair that when someone makes a joke, they get called a troll, Adam.
1: That's that's um, what it is, Lawrence. If you make a joke, you're just a troll now. That's a really good point. Um, I literally. Technically.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I, um i mean i could i could i could advocate for liverpool um i could advocate that you know if if um if they can get through january which is basically without uh, sadio mane and they can also ride through some of the lack of squad depth that they currently have maybe uh, recruit one or two more up front um and maybe look at replacing a center back um in saka then um i i do think they've got they've got a good squad but the problem is they don't actually have incredible depth within the team right now for all the investment that they've made. Um, and Jurgen Klopp is actually doing quite well to get these performances out of the side um, in In the sense that he's, you know, if you look at the bench, he's hardly got a full bench right now. Um, but that's not really an excuse. You know, they should have the quality from front to back. I, I still think Liverpool will be uh, up in the top four come the end of the season. I think they'll definitely run first and second very close.
1: Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, partly doesn't want to say Spurs, um, because, you know... You they, could, they
0: could, but all... the, the, is, is the problem that they will... Uh, the same as Liverpool and the same with Chelsea, which maybe be uh, where Dave, Dave's uh, Manchester United contribution comes good, is that um, Jose Mourinho is one of the managers that doesn't run his team into the ground. And Conte, Klopp and Pochettino are all sort of notorious for running their teams into the ground
1: yeah I think you know we saw that in the previous two seasons that Spurs did their level did drop uh, towards the end of the campaign. I'd expect the same again this season, especially as we're seeing the pattern where you know uh, we're performing so well at Christmas once again. Um, I think for Spurs, though, to be on the form we're on is very encouraging. And looking at the fixtures, they're relatively kind up until sort of late April when uh, you know we've got to play Arsenal, the likes of Man United, the likes of West Ham all in a row. Um, we have got to play Man City later this month um, on the 21st of January, which could obviously be a key fixture. But... I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty confident, especially last night, you know, when there was a lot of pressure on Spurs and I think there was a lot of expectation on them to uh, potentially avenge uh, earlier results and earlier defeats to Chelsea in recent times and also make a statement of their own in terms of title race. I think, um, you know, the, the confidence and the momentum is with Spurs. Everything seems to be firing all cylinders. Um, apart from Spurs, it's difficult to say. I, I wonder if, you know, Man City seems to be in a... In a in a sort of difficult patch, as it were, at the moment. Um, Arsenal, of course, um, have got their own uh, issues. I wonder if it'll be Spurs and Liverpool that that push Chelsea closest. I mean, Chris, uh, who do you reckon's uh, out of those outsiders, as it were, as it's put by... uh, China. Yeah, which which one is going to uh, potentially challenge Chelsea?
2: I don't think Man United's a bad shot. Um, The the problem I've got with the teams above them, Arsenal, City, Tottenham, is how... their sort of mental sides hold up because I think City have got uh, a bit of a habit of collapsing this season when things don't go their way. Tottenham showed last year that when they needed to to really hold their temper, they couldn't do it. And they did absolutely lose it at, at Chelsea. Um, so you're kind of guessing on whether they've improved from that last season and whether that's some of the Pochettino talked about was actually a transformative one. Um, in terms of Liverpool, I, I I flip between yes and no purely because there are moments where they look so rampant in attack, and yet there are also times where I can see them being nullified by a well-organized team. Um, I think more often than, than previous seasons, or more importantly than previous seasons, excuse me, how they fare against each other would likely decide this one. I think a lot of the time you can look at how the teams pick up points on on the road Um, I think Leicester had the best away record last season. This year, I think it'll come down to who can take points off each other.
1: As for Arsenal, one of the outsiders, apparently. Um, Incredible comeback from them, though. 3-0 down against Bournemouth. Um, Managed to come back uh, to free all. uh, A 70th-minute goal, um, sparking their comeback. But, of course, Chris all the discussion is about how much credit do we give Arsenal for fighting back from three goals down? First time they've ever done that in the Premier League um, with 20 minutes left and how much criticism do we give them for being in that situation in the first place?
2: It's really tempting to do an impression of a YouTube celebrity there. Um, I I think honestly, you can't, you can't really give them much credit for fighting back because again, it's, it's still a point that they've gained at the end of the day. Um, The, the ease with which they were broken down in the first half was frightening. If I'm an Arsenal fan, um, Bellerin in particular had a, an absolute nightmare of a game against Ryan Fraser, who, funnily enough, I, I thought at the time, oh, that's a good move from Eddie Howe because it will theoretically nullify uh, Bellerin in the final third. It will give him someone that can keep up with him in terms of sprinting, whereas actually the problems were all on Bellerin's end in, in, in the defensive third. It was nothing to to do with stopping him in the attack. So, no, I think it was a really poor performance from Marcel. This is, this is the problem, and this is something that I've wrote about this season, is... I just I don't think they've got enough character in the ranks. I know we always want to try and break things down and talk about the um, you know the, the tactical side of things. I think there's a genuine character issue there in terms of players who can can really stand up when when the wind is blowing against them a bit. But I also think there's an issue with pressure. I think that team is far too um it, it doesn't engage with its opponent enough. If you the first half when Nathan Aki, he runs through the middle of the field um, from defence that to me is, is criminal I don't know how he's managed to do that because he hasn't gone on some massive slalom run he's walked into to space pretty much and I think that's the problem is that we talk about different types of pressure and how people engage in the high press and how important that is and, and how on-trend that is. I don't think Arsenal have any kind of press, really. They just seem to to sit back and expect the opponent to make a mistake. And it's that kind of complacency that I think far too often costs them when a, a, an opponent performs higher than expected.
1: That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, Chris mentions certain uh, YouTube celebrities as it were there. I mean, Arsenal fans weren't happy, Lawrence. With their record against top six teams this season and in previous seasons, haven't been so poor, they do need to secure the points if they are going to change for title against the rest of the league. Uh, and obviously with Chelsea losing a day later, this result does feel even more disappointing and you are getting that familiar Groundhog Day feeling once again.
0: Um, yeah, uh, I, I also think with Arsenal, though, uh, it... What's funny is they are similar to Spurs in that sense. I think people do misanalyze uh, Wenger quite a lot. I think they misanalyze some of the ways that he, he plays sometimes. Um, they're much less reliant on ball. Re- in fact, they're almost not reliant on ball retention at all. Um, Arsenal um, and the way that they the way that they do play now has changed a lot from back in the day, even maybe a, a decade ago. Obviously, uh, but I think a lot of people still sort of apply those same models to Arsenal. Um, I mean, we also need to credit Eddie Howe on this one, surely.
2: Well, one thing well. <laughs> on, on, on talking about Arsenal um, and their st- style over the last decade, there's something that I'll, I'll put on, on our uh, Twitter page that, that Opta did this week where they looked at uh, Benitez, Wenger and the third man, Pulis, over the last 10 years, and they looked at some sort of key metrics for them. And one of them was things like how many passes um, did the opposition produce before a defensive action is performed by each team? And you'd be surprised how little Arsenal have actually changed. I think part of the reason is a drop in quality in players. I don't think they're shopping at, at that top tier of the market like they used to. Um, but, yeah, they, they really haven't changed a, a drastic amount in the the last decade since they... Well, it's over a decade now, but since they last won a Premier League title.
1: On Bournemouth, Lawrence, I mean, you're talking about giving Eddie Howe credit. Obviously, he was massively disappointed after the game that they couldn't beat Arsenal for their first time ever, uh, considering their three goals up. Um, Obviously, Dave, the red card had an impact, but Eddie Howe made a number of substitutions. Like, for example, he took off Fraser, that some Bournemouth fans felt had invited pressure on to them, that that it made the team sit deeper. Obviously, they were under concerted pressure from Arsenal, uh, who managed to come back in the end. What do you make of that decision or what, is there any criticism that you can give anyhow um for making those
3: substitutions and changing the game in that way? I think you gotta look <clears throat> with a three goal lead or you know, your opponents coming back into the game, you've got to change something. Um, you know, change your shape, go to a back five, just try and see the game out. You know, they, they had a massive chance, didn't they, when Bournemouth were three and up as well, Bournemouth to take the game to yeah. four goals to nil and, and just, you know, going wide. So I think it's That was crucial because it, like it was gosling seconds, who but, was through.
1: Uh, and he sort of made space for himself a nice little Cruyff turn just sort of uh, didn't get the, the angle of his shot right didn't get the angle of his body right and moments after that obviously uh, the red card came which uh, which obviously turned the game on his head so yeah uh, <laughs> a defining moment in many ways
3: yeah it's, it's difficult you've got you know if the momentum had swung and the momentum had changed with the red card. So it's it difficult to, to change that in football. It's difficult to change that in sport. You think of any sport when the momentum swings, it is, it's very, very hard, especially organising yourself with 10 men when they're coming back. And you know, the runners that Arsenal got from midfield, the movement they've got. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a decent result still for Bournemouth. Getting a point um, at home to Arsenal is still a very, very good point. So, you know, Bournemouth fans shouldn't be too disheartened, but obviously anyhow, could have changed. It could have changed something else. Um, with, uh, you know, when they still had the man on the pitch.
1: On the same point in context, you have to say, you do have to appreciate almost how far Bournemouth have come. On the day of the game, uh, on that day in 2009, Eddie Howe was taking caretaker charge of the club uh, in his first match at Bournemouth. They were second from bottom in League Two, so obviously 91st out of the <laughs> 92 Football League clubs, you know, and here they are. Um, yes. It's just an incredible journey for
3: them. Let's not pretend that they didn't spend the money, they of spent course. a shitload of money. For their, for, in League One, in League Two, they, they absolutely blasted the competition out because they spent most the most money in the championship. They were very, very competitive with money. Wasn't their record signing, that South African striker that pretty much like, played like four or five games and then was uh, chucked off somewhere else. But yeah, it's a good story and it's good that young managers get the chance. You know, Gary, Gary Rowett, uh, the uh, Birmingham manager that got sacked and now Franco Zola's in. When Rowett was, um, you know, his last game, they were seventh in the league. They're now you got know, Sack now Zola's in there in the thirteenth. I do like that um clubs are supporting um young managers. We've got to remember that Bournemouth have spent a bit of cash.
2: To be fair, Ranty yes. only cost two and a half million. Even in the championship, that's not a lot.
3: Yeah, but that was back in the day when that was quite a bit in the championship. That was before we were seeing Ross McCormack flying around for twenty million or whatever. It's only it
2: was. two, three yeah. It's really not that much in the championship. It's like a decent fee for a team. I wouldn't say it's I I wouldn't say it's the the exorbitant way that you're paying it personally.
3: It is so a... The, the bigger on. one was getting out of League 2 and League 1. That's where they absolutely blew the competition out of the water with money. It is... Yeah, I think it's...
1: Uh, I, I agree with David in that it is a, a great story, but of course, it's weird that not much is made of how the club's been bankrolled, essentially. Um, but yeah, it's still a remarkable ascent, I think it's fair to say. Um, on the red card, Lawrence... Um, obviously as we're saying changed the game um, renewed calls video technology after this game and obviously the the United West Ham game where where Mike Dean uh, had his influence Um, Francis obviously saw red and he's actually going to serve a free match ban after losing the appeal Um, what do you make of this chat again because there's actually some some movement behind it now the Premier League are reportedly exploring the possibility of additional video support for match officials Um, they've got former referees involved in weekly trials aimed at kind of testing a system that could be introduced in time for the 2018-19 season um, should it be improved uh, by the International Football Satiation Board. The thing is though, Lawrence, what are we going to talk about down the pub if this does come in? You know.
0: Uh, oh, very good, Adam. Very good indeed. Um, w- well, we'll talk about how the new referees still make mistakes because robots are still going to make mistakes and there's still always going to be rules which are subject to interpretation. So, sort of. uh, I think though it is... Um, Referees, for some reason, this season seem to, seem to be in a lot of the, the spotlight. Mm. Um, you know, whether it be with China or with, you know, making too many motions whilst out on the pitch. Uh, some people like the spectacle. I, I think it's fine as long as a referee maybe doesn't buy into it. But that's part of the problem is that uh, also you need to be quite a personality. Um, and I wants to be a referee um, just appreciate the personalities and as long as it isn't really having a massive impact on the way that the game is being refereed then it's fine right
1: mm. it's yeah I think you know we were talking about the the whole Zlatan controversy earlier in the week and I just think it's so difficult to to be a referee with the speed of the game with how many decisions come along in there and how difficult they are to judge in the moment. I think they do need help, essentially. Um, Matt Cake asked on Twitter, why do you think the standard of refs has been in decline in recent seasons? Hashtag goal-line tech is amazeballs. Um, has the standard of ref been refereeing been in decline, do you think, Chris?
2: I think the game has got faster, which hasn't helped. Um, I think the the general speed of things has made it harder for referees. I, I do think in some regards it's a, it's a generational thing in terms of the quality in the same way that we talk about good generations of players. I think the same applies to referees. And, yeah, overall, I've said for a number of years now that I think really the the general quality of referees has dropped. Um, I think, honestly, what doesn't help is, and this is just my opinion personally, I think referees have become a lot more media savvy in all the worst ways. Um, you look at the likes of Graham Paul. Uh, Did you Howard see the, Webb, the story about us,
1: a story that appeared on my uh, it appeared on the Guardian? It said Mark Clattenburg says he would consider a move to the Chinese Super League, and you
2: kind of like uh, yeah, like should we be seeing articles like that? If that kind of thing, it, it's it's so far removed from the likes of of David Ellery and people like that in years gone by. I mean. You know, Kalina had a fairly big media presence. He was also an exceptional referee at the same time. That's the problem. Whereas, really, you look at people like, like I say, Howard Webb, Mark Clattenburg, they do they, they seem to fancy themselves a little bit, for, for want of a better term. I mean, and,
0: but to be fair, um, Henry Winter was making the point that Mark Clattenburg is quite well respected within the refereeing fraternity.
2: True, but then I think the best referees are the ones you don't really remember in that regard, you know. Yeah, no, it's really good point. It's, I, it's, I, 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 um, although K- Kalina is a different the diff- the difference. Yeah, Kalina it? has such an iconic image. That's that's kind of the the, the problem with him in that in that sense. Um, whereas, like I said, David Ellery, he's not someone that jumps to mind when you think of referees because he was very good, and you know, he, he was someone that really did kind of observe the game and influence it. He didn't seem to make himself such a a prominent figure, and I think. You know, you look at Mike Dean, and and we can we can laugh and we can scoff at it all we want about the way he goes on. There are definitely moments where even I think you're kind of looking at this as if like it's your moment, and I just think the second that we start to see stories like that about Clattenburg entertaining a move, it's <laughs> it, it's jump the shark so to speak, because again, referees aren't ever supposed to be centre stage; they're just not. Because I'm, Clattenburg sign a, a contract with some agency recently, or yeah, last year. I think he and had, then te-
1: had to tear it up almost immediately.
2: Um... Yeah, it's it's things like that, you know. <laughs> it's that idea of again, you could argue the warning signs were there when people like Jeff Winter were doing after dinner speeches and all this kind of thing. It's it's like it, the game is definitely not about you guys. Sorry, if that's why you got into it, then I'm I hate to disappoint you, but it's definitely not about you guys. I it definitely think it
0: includes them.
2: it does but it's if honestly if you want to talk about refereeing issues there's that young 17 year old lad in in Manchester who's just put forth a campaign to stop abuse for Sunday league referees I didn't see any of the the prominent refs getting behind that campaign but apparently Mark Clattenburg's got time to talk about moving to China it's that duality for me that's, that's key here because they should be focusing on things to do with the actual profession and making it better and too often, it just doesn't seem the case. When you hear referees going on, you know, Jimmy Bullard podcasts and things like this, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. I I don't think it's their place, personally. Let's move on. Even man. even ex refs. Ex refs to a degree, I think. Yeah, the the problem is, is that the obvious question is, well, what do you think of refs now? And for the most part, it seems like there's a lot of politicking involved in that. So a few are quite happy to throw their you know their former colleagues under the bus, and I think. That in itself is is a little bit um disingenuous to the cause. I, I think it's it's all about, you know, I think you can say something along these lines, so apologies if I'm not quoting you correctly. The the medium is the message in that regard. And I think oh. if you're using someone like Alina to evaluate referees in a very intelligent and critical way, then that's very that's very much fine by me. If it's kind of salacious stuff and it's all very vacuous ways in, in which I'm seeing it at the minute, then I don't think it has a benefit personally. I think it's, it's stroking egos at that point.
0: Mm. I think sometimes we try and transfer some of this stuff, um, from the online world to the real world and vice versa. We try and, um, transfer some stuff from the refereeing world. And the, this most referees are the most serious side of football, essentially, because they get there to enforce rules or at least remind us of them. Um, And then when you try and sort of put it in social media or you have them going on a wacky show or you, you know, have them trying to make sound bites, then, of course, you're going to come out sometimes with stuff which isn't properly thought through. And I think sometimes we sort of feel as if referees and all these people are being presented with no lens to it. And actually, mm. I think there is a massive lens over the referee as well. And just because the referee is such a straight-laced sort of serious figure, a lot of people just sort of think that, therefore, that's the only way that they'll be represented. There's no way you could bastardise the way that they um, are represented. And, you know, it's not as if ex-refs have got their own agenda or have their own ideas about the way that the game should be refereed or their own politics to play. Um, and I think sometimes that can get sort of lost, especially in a refereeing conversation, like I say, where it's a more serious um, sort of...
1: Subject matter or lens. Let's move on to Christopher 1, Swansea 2. Uh, massive win, obviously, for the Swans, Chris. Uh, Paul Clement, officially supposed to be watching this game from the stands, having been appointed earlier in the day. Made and then his way they started to,
2: winning. Yeah, <laughs> made his way
1: down to the out for the second half, though. Uh, managed to, to get his influence and his stamp on the game. Um, quite a, a new manager bounce there. Um, you know, we spoke on Monday about the difficult you know, the difficulty of taking that job, how it's mm. a risky one to to sort of um, take on. Uh, do you think there were signs of encouragement, though, for, for Paul Clement in terms of avoiding relegation for Swansea?
2: There were. There were also, I saw, real fine margins involved because there's, there's a decision um, for a penalty that goes Swansea's way. And it, it's things like that where you, you stop and say, OK, they, they've got the victory, but we're going to take such a superficial reading away from this in two, three days time when realistically there wasn't a huge swathe of improvement. And, and in fairness, like I say, Clement hasn't had, I don't think a training session hasn't had games with them at all, but already we're looking at our look at the new manager bounds that there's there's so many ways to easily paint this um, as, as being Clement's influence. I, I really do think that it'll take until February until we see what kind of influence he's realistically had. Because at this point, a, a lot of it, or a lot of it, a good feeling or a good reason. Straight with the at home, because there were some key changes in their way. And if, if they get that penalty, I think it's a red card as well to Fabianski. So it changes the dynamic of the game massively. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I think... You should never be too disappointed at um, at picking up points, regardless of the way that works. The the key thing for Swansea and Clement right now, and this is the thing, I don't know how much time he's had to prepare it because he's been working at a different club. So I imagine he hasn't been thinking about it, is what players can they get in? Because they need it, I would say, four, maybe even five players if, if they want to make a really good fist of trying to stay up. Because they might pick up a, a victory here and there. But to actually build some consistency, I think they're going to need one, maybe two centre-backs, maybe a pair of midfielders, and a forward with a bit of pace. Not a winger type like Barrow or, or Routledge. An actual centre-forward who's got a little bit of pace about him. Something to stretch teams. And someone who can actually just mix it up from, from Lorente, Because Lorente is a very static forward. And it's great if you can get Sigurdsson and that like throwing balls in for him. But teams will just push up, they'll, they'll just keep a little bit of a higher line and I, I think there are, there's a little bit of need for versatility in that final third with Swansea.
1: What about Palace then? Obviously, Sam Allardyce about winning win in his first three games now that wouldn't have been how he wanted to kick off his tenure at the club at home. Um, and now, of course, uh, the team's main man in many ways, Wilfried Zahar is obviously off to the African Cup of Nations, uh, which is obviously a big blow. Do you think this could be the time he finally goes down in the Premier League, takes the team... Down to the to the championship, Chris.
2: I don't think so, and, and I base that on two things. His start of Sunderland wasn't very good either; um, it was actually quite poor. And the the important contrast there is that Sunderland squad is a lot worse than the current Crystal Palace squad. And so, really, if if you probably given him a few less games, you could argue that that Sunderland would have gone down last year. Um, I think that key difference, as I said there, is the quality in this Palace squad. It it takes a little bit of time, I think, for Allardyce's methods as simple as we might think they are, to really kind of sink in with the players and and forge something. But once he gets that discipline and organisation, which is kind of the foundation of everything he does, then things start to look much better. And because he's got those players with quality, the likes of Zaha, the likes of Townsend, that's when things can start to change, along with a real massive aerial presence, which is Christian Benteke. I'm curious how he handles Zaha personally. I mean, we look at someone like JJ Kotcher and, and say, you know, he did such wonderful things with him, it should be fine. If Zaha's not willing to be industrious and work hard going the other way, I could see a little bit of a uh, coming together there with the two of them. But overall, yeah, I think even the likes of Kabai, and you can list off the players that Palace have got that are quality. I wouldn't be worried about them going down at this point. I think they do just have a lot of, important attacking components in there. And that's the thing. Allardyce can build a defence, seemingly with anyone, as he as he showed last year with Sunderland. He can get clean sheets out of almost any kind of defence. It's how he does at the other end, and he's got fantastic players in that sense.
1: Mm. Hasn't quite got the best out of Benteca yet, but you'd, uh, you'd expect him to do so as time goes on. Um, as we were saying, obviously Paul in the main man at Swansea now, but Bob Bradley's still in the news, uh, Lawrence. Why is that? Uh, well, I mean, he's got, rightly so. And I think it, it is unusual to keep the
0: manager in the news for so long. And so maybe it's worth sort of paying some attention. I think some people in the media feel he's been hard done by by Swansea. We sort of alluded to it on the podcast. There's a few rumors going around in the um, media tumble dryer, if you like, that um, not everyone was colluding in the same uh, direction at Swansea and that a super few people um, don't seem to have favored Bob. Um, so you know I think for that reason he's been given a voice because I think some people do feel he's been hard done by I also I think there's a bit of um kind of pro a English speaking b American bias and see the fact that Bob is actually quite good at engaging the media himself and has some people who um are around him like obviously we've sort of experienced that firsthand ourselves that if Bob sees criticism or sees something that he doesn't necessarily think is right then um, not more often than not, but at times he's going to want to step out and and correct it. Um, so it's as simple as the fact that Bob maybe feels like he's been hard done by at Swansea and wants to um, w- wants to set the record
2: straight, essentially. So
1: what was the actual what was the actual uh, report? It was uh, Bob Bradley
2: really. Norwegian national team. You what? He's been, Bob's been linked to the Norwegian national team. Oh, has he now? He also said, which I thought was quite funny. Um, obviously, obviously there was a story that came out and uh, people said that his players were calling him Ronald Reagan. And Bob said, um, paraphrasing, This saying, is a great one. I can assure you, not one of those players knows who Ronald Reagan is. <laughs> wow.
1: Which is...
0: Cutting. That is cutting.
2: cutting. Um, But yeah, he has been linked to the Norwegian national team. Um, He's still really highly thought of in Norway. In fact, the sporting director, whose name is escaping me, at Starbeck, um, was pitching him for the national team uh, long, sort of not even 10 minutes after he'd been uh, let go by Swansea. So he was spotted in Oslo. um, Said he was visiting friends, which don't believe for a second Um, and the talk is he has an offer on the table I can exclusively reveal on the front three that our friend of the show has an offer from Norway that he can take if he wants there you have it guys Um, yeah interesting one
1: that very interesting one Um, friend of the show Bob Bradley so uh, we wish him all the best for the future Um, let's finish up the review of the Premier League with Stoke winning 2-0 at the Britannia Stadium, ending a five-game win this run in the Premier League to move above the visitors. Watford uh, also playing a uh, 3-4-3. Apparently everyone's doing it now. Uh, apparently gets the best out of P.A. Crouch, uh, who, of course, scored once again. Um, he's apparently been offered a new contract, or is going to be offered a new contract, at Stoke, at the age makes of twenty-five, which, uh, as you say, just makes sense. Um, one win in eight for Watford, though. Uh, not quite getting dragged into the relegation battle. Um, and there are certainly three worse teams than them in the league, so you'd expect them to stay up, but still worrying form for them um, could all be could all be to blame though, Lawrence, uh, on witchcraft. Um, we, are you talking about
0: the story involving um, strong suspicion that mm. Isaac's success uh, and his injury problems are down to a witch's curse?
1: It's everywhere. Um, witchcraft is everywhere in the game. Adam, I like
0: I like that you're a believer, first of all. Um I like that you've taken it on board. Um his people are beginning to think that it is some people who are not happy with his progress who are chasing him with evil witches. Mm. Uh I'm led to believe by an African news source, an African website, I'm told.
1: Um even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
0: they are suspecting Juju against the boy, uh, which I think is kind of magic. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the thing would be that, I mean, you know, obviously um, there are a few different approaches to this one would be sort of um, a psychological one. I, I just wonder what, like when it sort of gets to this point that it all gets very fluffy and hazy, doesn't it? Like what?
2: That's probably like, the witchcraft.
0: What, no, yeah. but, but what would you do, though, if someone came to you and said, oh, sorry, you know, there's a spell.
2: I've put a curse on you.
0: Or, yeah, no, just sort of like, oh, sorry, can't can't come to work today. Why? Um, having trouble with the witch? Maybe it's a cultural thing. And I'm not, I don't mean that from a sort of xenophobic point of view. I mean that from uh, just a sort of like a, you know, I mean, it, it's slightly a misinterpretation of culture kind of thing. And I wonder how many people in the media are more than willing to kind of eat it up mm. um uh, us included um it is <laughs> funny it's it's interesting
1: i think um unusual but
2: uh, wasn't there a rapper who used to put curses on teams as well in the stage I, I
0: think he still does isn't it little
2: b
1: uh
0: is something it like b? that um and he basically um curses basketball players
1: yes just bizarre. Um, um,
0: and, and genuinely, I think uh, basketball players buy into that. From
1: success to failure, Mike Phelan, also this week, uh, sacked after three months in charge. Uh, only one win in his last nine games. So Hull have decided to make a change. He can't help but feel that Chris. is It feels a harsh decision in that many of the problems that are facing the club are not of Phelan's making.
2: No, they're not. <clears throat> they're not at all and and most of them we've outlined before so I'll not go into them in too much detail other than they lack quality and numbers I, I think the man they've appointed in his place is an interesting choice um, he's kind of billed as the, the mini Mourinho sorts, I read quite a good profile by Jack Pitbrook and then a similar sort of information piece by Tom Cundit who's a, a really knowledgeable Portuguese uh, football specialist so I, I think if I'm a whole fan I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic as to what the new man can bring because he seems to have something about him, Um, the mini Mourinho as he's kind of been dubbed by some Um, but I think again you could almost apply it to um, that same thing with, with Swansea is they need numbers in January they need to make signings and and the other difficulty comes, and I've spoken to teams about this and, and recruitment staff specifically, it's such a hard sell in January when you're struggling because you've got to put either relegation clauses in there or you've got to give them assurances that if things go pear-shaped, they can get out. And it just comp- really does complicate deals in, in a lot of different ways. Um, so... It's, it's a big ask, not just for the coach, I think for all of them. Um, they've shown flickers of quality, but again, it, I, I don't think it's it's any other problem than they just lack it across the park. There's key position centre-back um, being one that they don't have enough quality in or enough experience.
1: Let's look ahead to the FA Cup then briefly before we get into part two. Uh, first up, perhaps one of the most eye-catching fixtures of the weekend is Manchester United against Reading, Chris, which sees the return of Yap Stam. to so Old Trafford, you wrote an article about this uh, for Yahoo today.
2: I did. Mr. Mr. Yap. Um, had his Man United career ended in a petrol station by Sir Alex Ferguson. He told him he was leaving. Wow, unceremonious. Um, yeah, it's one of the few things that Sir Alex has, has admitted was a mistake in his career, that he should never have sold Stan, which is an interesting one. Um, but... But, yeah, when he was hired, it was it was kind of a left-field appointment. It, it's almost a nice transition from Hull to this because he didn't have any uh, managerial experience in that sense. He'd assisted at Young Ajax and uh, his first club's Voller as well. But he was hired by the club's director of football, who, again, knew him at Ajax, but is, is kind of orchestrating a little bit of brilliance down at, at Reading because they haven't got a lot of money to spend. There's a lot of uncertainty off the field with the ownership group and all this. But they've managed to get the likes of John Swift in. um, Roy Behrens is another one. And they've blended together a a fairly young squad. I think it's the... This joint second youngest in the championship right now. Um, and they play some really nice possession football. It, it wasn't all that way, as the, the piece goes into a little bit greater detail. At first, it was kind of awkward and there was a transition period. But now, they are a very fun side to watch, actually. And and they do catch eyes very easily because, like I said, there's not a lot of teams that, that play the way that they do. Um, mm. They've got the most possession of the championship, highest possession, I think past completion rate or second highest they really are up there in in that sense and again Stam is very he's exactly how you'd expect him to be in the sense that he's very stern but he's also very sure on his ideology now that could be something that trips him up in the future where he lacks the flexibility that we talked about with Pochettino and the ability to be versatile but overall I've been quite impressed with what I've seen so far I'm, I'm eager to see how the next four or five months pan out because if they can stay where they are now in third or even unseat one of Brighton or Newcastle in the last few weeks and go up, then it could be massive for not just him but I think Reading as well.
1: Well, We'll come on to the the Championship in a second. Um, Before that Elsewhere this weekend, Tottenham are playing Aston Villa. Um, obviously, with the form there on, you'd expect Spurs to win that one. Hopefully, a chance to see some squad players, the likes of Vincent Janssen, maybe Moose Zizoko starting as well. Uh, it would be good to see them get a chance. Uh, Preston are playing Arsenal. Obviously, Arsenal will be hoping to avoid a slip up there. Uh, West Ham United are playing Man City. That's a tasty one. Uh, Dave, who's your money on for that one?
3: Oh, Man City, definitely. West Ham United have. Um... Have been great in recent weeks. Um, they've been struggling, uh, to find form and fitness. Michael Antonio playing up from against Manchester United. So I think they're still looking for a striker, obviously, to remain the folding. But yeah, I think Man City have got that one. But it depends whether Pep rotates his team like he did in the League Cup. Oh, because if he does that, West Ham could, could nick something. So I think it's all on Pep Guardiola's team selection. If he fancies it, City will dominate. If he doesn't, then Mm, the could Hammers be a, could be making it
1: to the next round. Could be another awkward post-match interview for Pep there. Um, Birmingham, great, also we can read playing it. Newcastle United. Uh, how are you feeling about this one, Chris? Hmm. I'm
2: not sure. Why? Because the FA Cup. I just I want to believe that's what it is. I want to believe that there's
1: you want to believe in the magic, like in the witchcraft of the FA Cup.
2: But It sounds a lot more sinister when you say the witchcraft of the FA Cup. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Same thing, though, isn't point it, right? Say again. The, no, witch, the
1: witchcraft is magic. No, Adam. Is it dark magic?
2: imagine these are all FAQs on David Copperfield's website. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll head over there.
1: Don't worry. You, you, you carry on. Um,
2: no, I want to believe that there's still the ability to shock. I. Does anyone else have any strong opinions on this one?
0: Well, Uh, what the the um, Newcastle-Birmingham City game? (laughs) Safe to say, no. It's it's safe safe to say that Rafa has got history in the competition, obviously. Um, It's also safe to say that Birmingham City themselves have got history in the competition. Um, This is the problem.
2: Newcastle haven't won in that competition for, I want to say, six years now, possibly longer. So that's what I'm saying when I want to believe in the... The magic of it and that it can still exist and you know have something to play for after January.
0: Are you trying to build Newcastle as the underdogs here?
2: A little bit because they've got a shocking record in this competition, they really mm, have. It's a terrible win. thing. <laughs> is they are they are away from home, so that yeah, they normally it's... but that there's no That's the other problem. Can uh,
1: you give us a little What's update? Like... On the championship, Chris, because John Gibbons writes in on Twitter. Can you chat a bit about the championship? Not heard you talk about it much on a show. Uh, perfecto. What would you call that emoji? What's that like? Okay, emoji. He's gone for. Oh, um, like the, the the closed hand thing. Yeah. Yeah. That
2: thing. I prefer your description personally.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's the. Like, I think it's the cheeky nando's emoji. I think. Um, yeah, Chris, give us uh, give us a little update on the on
2: the championship. So at the bottom, you've got Rotherham, Wigan. No massive surprise there. Wigan play some nice stuff from time to time, but they can't put the ball in the net. Um, at the the midpoint, you've got Villa slowly climbing, kind of stumbling every now and again. They're a decent enough side under Steve Bruce. I just think that, again, they wasted a lot of money in the summer. They they didn't really know what they wanted to do. They bought the likes of Tish Bowler, who who doesn't really seem to play much even though he looks, I would say, one of the better midfielders they've got, better than Westwood, at least, because um, he's actually got some some legs on him. Norwich are in a fairly similar position. Alex Neal's quite a negative manager from from what I've been able to see of him. Um, and, again, he was another one that bought players like Pritchard and Canos, who were fairly young and exciting and vibrant. And Canos hasn't played at all, from what I can see. Um at least I haven't seen him in the, the first team in a league game. And there's talk about him actually going to to Brentford on loan, which is mad because I would have thought someone like Pritchard and Cano side of the side, again, perfect. Um, they also struggle with the fact that, really, Cameron Jerome is not as clinical as he should be. Um, he missed a hatful of chances against Brentford the other day. Who Brentford are in about mid-table. Again, decent, sort of... I would say on the wane on their hipster curve, if you will, like a few years ago, it was great to, to follow uh, Brentford and for all that Scott Hogan puts the ball in the net, there's not a huge, actually, no, I'm not going to blame the players on this one. I'm going to blame the manager. I really don't rate Brentford's manager, um, Dean Smith. I think he's really simple in the way that he puts that team together. And I think they need a bit more complexity. The surprise package right now are leads because they just keep winning and winning and winning. Um, they are a very well put together team. They're very English, very industrious. Um, Pontus Janssen looks a really good. Is it Pontus Janssen? Um I'm gonna say Jansen because his first name is escaping me, but at the heart of the defense, he's perfect, um, really made for England in general. And I think they've just bought him actually from Torino. Huddersfield, they sort of Yorkshire rivals are staying in there. they They haven't really been as prominent in the discussion. Um, but they're in four, so you can't really complain. They're, they're a, a nice mix, I think, of of Klopp-like ethos that, that Wagner's taken from their time together at Dortmund with just little tweaks. Um, they're maybe not as quick and fluid on the counterattack, which you could expect because it's a drop in quality. Um, but I think with Aaron Moy in the middle, they've got someone that really pulls the strings, which I don't think really Liverpool have in my opinion. they on someone that's got real range because to me, and it's not just because he's bald as well, Aaron Moy is essentially a, a poor man's John Joe Shelby and I mean that as a, a big compliment. Um, Reading, we've already covered. Newcastle, uh, just this bizarre team that either win or lose at the minute. Um, there is no draws for them. They've only drawn one this season. And... There are some instances where you think the refereeing is poor, the officiating could be better. They've had a few decisions not go their way. They did get quite lucky against Forrest, um, saying that just before the year finished um, with that red card for Matt Mills. Honestly, they miss Shelby massively. That, that's what I've noticed the last few games, is when he's suspended, they've got no one who can really open up the field for them. And without that, you're looking at Colback and Hayden to to pass it side to side. Um, and then at the top, it's it's Brighton under Chris Hutton, who... Again, I find it quite difficult to to kind of isolate their style and say this is how they play. Anthony Knockart has performed far beyond any expectation um, that I had for him. I mean, he came in last year and it was like a January signing, so it's always a little bit difficult to gauge. But this year, he's absolutely hit the ground running, and you know, it was quite sad he lost his his dad fairly recently, Um, and it hasn't seemed to sort of unsettle him at all. If anything, it seems to have just focused him into this frighteningly good forward. And then you've got Glenn Murray, who's got a lot of experience in this division. Um, and their defense is, again, it, it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. And I'd be surprised if there's a change at the top two, personally. I think realistically, actually looking at the table as it stands now, you might get Derby or uh, maybe Derby, Norwich or Fulham, taking one of those last spots that Chef Wade inhabit right now. But for the most part, I expect the top five to stay where it is.
1: Exactly. Championship done. Let's move on to part two, where we're talking transfers and answering your questions. Transfers. Big transfer news this week is all kicking off at the start of January. First up, Dave, today, Southampton captain Jose Font has apparently handed in a transfer Request uh, the director of football for Southampton, Les Reed, uh, said he's made it very clear he would like to explore the opportunities for a transfer. That's where we're at at the moment. Jose wants to leave the club, he's formally asked for a transfer. A bit of a bombshell considering the rumours going around about Virgil van Dyke as well, interest from Chelsea and Manchester City there. Can you see Font leaving Southampton in January, Dave? His contract, as it stands at the moment, does run out in 2018, so they're not technically under any pressure uh, to sell him in this window
3: um, I think that it's probably time to go um, I was listening to uh, I think it was Matt Letizia on I think it was on Sky Sports and he was saying that he was a bit of a bad egg you know come back from the Euros and he thinks he's better than really? everyone else and yeah that's, what, that's what they were saying there it's quite interesting and it's obviously not cool uh, anyway but, you know, for him to do that but obviously it's time to move on and Southampton better get rid of him ASAP Again, we spoke um, of the weekend where he made that a uh, bit of a stinker of a mistake uh, for the second goal. So yeah, maybe it's time for Southampton to cash in. And their scouting and their recruitment is so good. They'll just find another Virgil van Dijk and they'll be laughing. So cashing on fun.
2: To, to be fair, I think he wanted a little Dijk? bit more of a, a longer term deal. That was the problem is that I think he wanted a little bit of... He's it's a, that awkward position where he's reached an age where really you can't justify giving him a long term deal.
1: The, but let's read. he wants that. Les Reed said that he was offered contracts. Maybe they weren't to the length or, or to the to the standard that he wanted. But uh, apparently, Les Reed tried to set the record straight today and say that you know Font has turned down the number of offers. Um, he wants to leave. Interesting um, mm. to see if he does indeed go and uh, to manage to keep hold of Van Dijk. Um, as for the other news this week, Jermaine Defoe dominating the headlines. Chris um, Macam talk writing in. Do you think Jermaine Defoe will go to West Ham? The Hammers. Have reportedly have a six million pound bid for Defoe rejected earlier this week. They're apparently willing to bid up to fifteen million for Defoe, uh, but Sunderland will continue to reject any offers. Uh, Defoe is one of the few assets you would potentially say Sunderland do have that could bring in money, could raise funds to improve the squad in January. Well, but do you, they? You want sell a- him for thirty, and then
0: you buy
1: um, <laughs> but, uh, you buy Martial for twenty. Um, what about in reality, uh, Chris, in the real world? Uh, what does Sunderland do no. in this situation? Uh, not Paul
0: Merson's world. Come on. Uh, Paul exactly,
1: Merson makes exactly. that little world
2: too. Um, I really enjoyed watching that clip, by the way. Yeah, it's really good. I thought it was from a, 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 I, was, know, was was from a parallel
1: universe. I thought it was from a, another bizarre world. But, um... He's
0: literally like a man who is discovering football.
1: But, but in,
0: in our very
2: thing about his reaction said he'd sat up the night before, drawn that out. Oh, God.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah but he thought he was a genius. Yeah. In our very real world, though, Chris, can, can someone afford to, to sell a defoe? Really? No,
2: they can't. Definitely can't. And they won't. Um, I, I could see him going in the summer, definitely. Because, again, he's at an age where he's probably planning his last three, four years. Because he's never really been about um, sort of speed or pace, I don't think, in, in, at least in recent years. He's been about finishing and positioning and that kind of stuff. Um, so he's probably got three, four years in him. I'd imagine he wants to go home at this point. He's, he's kind of been to Toronto. He's been in Sunland a few years. He's bounced around a little bit. Um, West Ham, from what I can gather, feels as, as close to home for him as possible. So I imagine in the summer he might push for it. I don't think he would do it now. I think he has a lot of respect for, for Sunland as a club. And yeah. I think he would be happy to, to see out the year, see what happens. Um, it's,
1: it's interesting in that I don't think it would be from what I've heard from West Ham fans, it wouldn't be a massively popular because of the way he tried to leave the club all those years ago the way he agitated for a transfer um, him coming mm. back would not potentially be as well
2: received as uh, as you might imagine um, I can see why
0: West Ham yeah, I, I, never
2: I, happy I, I think honestly though the whole DeFoe thing, the Dembele thing, it opens up to a wider point that West Ham's recruitment strategy is utterly bizarre to me. Static. Oh, to, yeah. oh to, yeah. Yeah. To put, to put a six million pound bid in for Jermaine DeFoe, who has a fantastic record. And someone on, uh, on Twitter or Facebook said to me, you know, even as a Newcastle fan, you'll acknowledge he's a good striker. He's a brilliant striker to be fair. And it pains me to say that because he scored a fair few against us in derbies already. He, he's worth at least triple quadruple six million pounds and then they put 20 million in for Dembele and this is the thing that really kind of tipped it for me because Dembele was available in the summer for about I think a million it would have been something like that maybe a little bit more in terms of compensation fee he was playing less than 20 miles away from Upton Park at Fulham and yet somehow West Ham didn't managed to get down to watch him enough or didn't identify him and try and make that move. I just find it so maddening that, and again, the summer they bring Zaza in they bring Kaleri in. Zaza, who is not a, uh, a line-leading striker at all. He's someone that likes to sit a bit deeper. And then Kaleri, who again, isn't that number nine for me. Um, to then go from that to these January bids, it's it's just... It is. It's amateur. That's the, the best way I can put it. It's amateur level recruitment mm. in, in my eyes. And it, it's going to cost that club so much. And you look at even the likes of Gokantor Tor in the summer. There's a lot of players that West Ham have bought lately that just don't seem to make sense and don't seem to have any kind of it's not coherent. concurrence yeah. in, the, in the way or the, the profile of players that are signed.
1: Does seem that Defoe will stay at Sunderland uh, for now then. Will Morgan Schneidlin stay at Manchester United though, Dave? Um, Everton are set to make an improved bid after a £19 million bid uh, was rejected. Uh, that's according to The Guardian. Um, do you think he's still got something to offer at Old Trafford Dave, or is it time for him to move on?
3: It's time for him to move on 100%. I don't think he's up to the level of, of Manchester United. He's not up to the level for a team to win the Premier League, and unfortunately, if United want to go that way, they've got to. Sell some of the Deadwood that's still there anyway. And Morgan Schneider's one I like. United are playing hard ball with the cash. Obviously, they've spent money in the last two years or so. It's quite good that then they are saying, "Oh, twenty million or nothing, or twenty-five million, or nothing." Eighty-nine million. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, we'll get eighty-nine million, and then we can sign Koke. Brilliant. Have you been speaking to Paul Merson? um Pierre Emerick Aubameyang
1: is another name uh, in the in he's the he's headlines. Right there. Uh, apparently, he's there has been an insane bid of £128 million pounds, uh, from Shanghai, from the Chinese League, Lawrence. Um, British yeah. Dortmund CEO Hans-Joachim Watzke coming out, though declining to discuss the prospect of Aubameyang moving, saying the offer is hypothetical at the moment. I assume that means there's not an, an actual bid on the table, just that this is something that's sort of being discussed tangentially almost. I mean, surely all bids are hypothetical. You literally go to the no, person and to... you say... You drive up with a lorry I, of money, of cash, okay, got, yeah, you yeah. dump yeah, it yeah. on the doorstep, yes or no. If not, but even then, that,
0: that, that, that's the point, is even then you say, hypothetically, if I was to give you this money, would you so hypothetically hypothetical, give me that player?
1: Is it? Is it so insane, £128 million for Pierre-Emerick, when we're seeing some of the other fees being slashed, about £70 million for for someone like Carlos Tevez, who's coming towards the end of his career, for example?
0: Well, it's not, it's not insane if you put it within... Well, actually, it is insane because that scale's insane. But, the, uh, yes. It's a completely it. different
1: yeah, scale. It's... A it, different it's, it's
0: um, I mean, it, it almost makes... It, it would be ridiculous. It, 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 there are so many different scales to measure it on, but it's almost ridiculous because if they were to take that in January, part of the problem would then be that they are um, main strikerless for the rest of the season. And no matter if they got 128 million or whatever you're probably not going to be able to tempt many other top European sides, um, with less than that. I mean, a lot of those sides would probably say, we know the fee you've just received. Um, so pay us through the nose for whoever else, uh, you want, you know, whether that be Griezmann or, um, Olivier Giroud or, um, you know, anyone else out there at the same time, he's also one of the most, uh, sought after strikers in Europe. And I also just sort of think that there, there's a reason they're paying all this money. um, I a mean, hundred? Do they not know about what? Like, do they not know what a mark is?
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like the best place to start your. Where have they plucked
0: that from? Like, they just pull
2: a figure out their ass and go, "Yeah, go on, bam"? It sounds like Chinese football clubs don't respond well to silence during negotiations.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> an air of <laughs> that's what I think. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry
0: we we were, we were literally yeah uh, we, we were just thinking about your offer two hundred of million. A, I don't <laughs> 50 million, yeah. Um, 300 million. No, you really don't get this negotiation thing, do you? Yeah. Definitely interesting. Oh, sorry,
1: we're used to negotiating uh, with Trump. <laughs> definitely an yeah, interesting one. All oh, purely hypothetical at the moment, apparently. Um, another one that is wrong, purely hypothetical, um, coming from famed Twitter transfer source, um, Gianluca De Marzio. Um, as it says UK. on his website, questo sito con busse. Al Audience de Sky Sports. Um, so I think he's on Sky Sports in Italy. Um, <laughs> he's, he is a man, uh, very renowned, I think to say, in uh, certain spheres for his transfer news. And he's come out on an exclusive today, Dave. Conte yeah. and Lorente could be reunited at Chelsea. Um, the report is that Batshuayi could possibly go on loan to West Ham or Crystal Palace in the window. And they could bring in Fernando Lorente. Now. Nice a good an interesting one but surely once again it's not going to happen simply because Swansea can't afford to lose someone like Lorente who could potentially be their primary goal scorer this season.
3: Yeah, I think it'd be a, a strange one. I, he obviously played under Conte before, but I don't think He didn't have that much game time. He was never the the focal point of that side after leaving Athletic Bilbao with such a fantastic record and um, you know, a fantastic number of goals that he scored there. You know, he only scored Something like you know just above twenty goals for for Juve over that time. So it'd be a strange move him. It seems like he's finally fitting in at Swansea, and uh, you know with new manager coming in, it's probably it'd be clever for Swansea to keep him and look to build around him um, with their uh, you know with Sigurdsson in behind or something like that. So yeah, I, I don't really see that coming off at all.
0: Do you think it would be a similar mistake to the one that they made a few years ago, building around Michu and then Michu sort of left or got injured? Is, we're talking about a lot of strikers here Who could have made a big step up If they'd been offered a big deal You know, mm-hmm. Lorente could have gone I mean, he, he did He's make always Spurs UV, but for a big deal
1: to
0: it Yeah, and, and Liverpool mm-hmm. You know, I always thought how good he would have been under, under a manager like Rafa Benitez Especially uh, with so many Spaniards surrounding him um, And then, you know, the same with Jermaine Defoe Jermaine Defoe never made that jump
1: He was a Spurs mate for a number of years uh, yeah mate, he never made that, like I say, he never made one. that jump to a significant curve. <laughs> <third. laughs> right, let's, uh, let's move on guys The transfers are done, we need to get into the questions So many questions this week on Twitter Thanks so much for sending them in Let's start with King Mick at du Bechet uh, Who can Manchester United buy as a long term replacement for the ageing Michael Carrick Dave I
3: think uh, there's a number of replacements Victor Wanyama okay. Take no first. chance mate No chance. That'll be good um, Maybe pop over to Monaco and sign Fabinho He's been playing more of a Ball playing central midfielder this season A bit more mobile than Carrick A different player in terms of who's going to go win a tackle Rather than make an interception Or you know Koke who I mentioned before There's, there's loads of players that could potentially step up I would quite like to see Victor Wanyama um, under Mourinho because that'd be, you know, power in that midfield. Paul Pogba, Victor Wanyama and then Antoine Griezmann ahead of that. That's just, like, filth.
1: Uh, You're in Paul Merson's head, is all I'll say. Um, (laughs) Let's move on to the next question. Morton Christensen, uh, he says, how much is Christian Eriksen worth and how long do you think he will stay at Spurs? Interesting question. I was talking to uh YouTube name drop it I was talking to Spencer FC himself earlier and he was you know,
2: since, uh,
1: you know uh, it was running in the same circles you know what's he like um, in real life uh yeah great guy wonderful guy um yeah. but what's he, he really was, like he was interestingly saying that he reckons potentially the Spurs squad is one of the most valuable <laughs> in the Premier League and it's come from West Ham fans, so you know it's legit um you know, you. you look at the likes of Christian Eriksen. How much is Christian Eriksen worth? Maybe £40 million in today's market? Do you
0: two just sit there in your little office going, Talks yeah, West Ham are great, aren't they? Yeah, Spurs it's are great, <laughs> are great, aren't they? As well. Yeah, but I love Spurs. No, do... I love West Ham. Oh, you're great. Yeah, I love your channel too.
1: <laughs> do you not think that, Lawrence? You look at All that right, squad. Mate. All right, mate. Tug, at... tug, 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 <laughs> Let's just focus on the question, guys. I really regret that shameless name drop now. Uh, regardless yeah, well... of that, Tottenham. <laughs>
2: How much is
1: Christian <laughs> Eriksen worth? Forty million? You know, you look at Deli Alley, is he worth fifty million? Sixty million today. Is Harry Kane worth that sort of money? If yeah, if you look at the, the, the bare value of the squad, um is is quite something. But um Christian Eriksen, how much reckon he would go for? Forty million somewhere? If I offered you think? twenty-six,
2: what would you say? Uh come back with uh, another twenty million on top. dot uk values him at twenty six point three five, the highest in his career today. He's been I, on a fairly upwards trajectory. I believe
1: Spurs bought him for
2: £12
1: million, I want to say. Um, yeah, eleven point four eight,
2: according to accordance, but I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that uh,
1: pretty uh, insane Gareth Bale, post-Gareth Bale splurge. Yeah. Um, one of the few purchases that was actually, it's uh, actually turned out to be
2: a, a decent signing. I, I think he And that was worth... almost four years ago now, so you've got a factor there in that. Yeah. So yeah, I think four years He
1: just signed a new contract as well, so I, I don't think he's going to leave anytime soon. I think um you know, a lot of the young key players will be staying for a, a significant amount of time. Um, I think that Christian is going anywhere, and even if you were trying to prize him away, you're talking four million at least. I think at this stage, um, do you think it's fair? Do you not
0: think it is? Sorry, do you not think it is one of the most valuable squads in the league? Uh, a because um, oh okay, now he wants to. <laughs> well, the thing is, you, the thing is, you probably do think that you could. um the, the, essentially those players are all biddable do you know what I mean? Because Spurs don't like Dave was saying earlier, Spurs don't pay the highest wages yeah. um, and also though Daniel Levy is somewhat of a, a tough negotiator of course. Um, but we've got that perfect so I mean, mix
1: of a, talent a mixture uh, players who have signed new long term contracts um, and very young players I think they are very valuable in all those respects, you know, someone like Danny Rose who you know was derided by Spurs just a few years ago now whew, it's The best left back in Europe. Um,
3: what, what, what else can you say? How, how much does that work? Well, mate, how um, much does that work? There's an Austrian international that
1: has um, <laughs> have an argument with you about that. You, you did and see, it, I did hesitate before I said it, but I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it, mate. I'm just gonna go for it. On current yeah. form, right now, in Paul Merson's head, Danny Rose is the best <laughs> left back in the world. Um, let's move on.
0: Because... I didn't, I, I genuinely didn't think that Spencer allowed drug taking
1: at work, but
2: no, okay. I um, would say Rose is up there to be fair. I can't think of a better two way fullback. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Carl Walker
1: as well. Best right back in the world. I
2: disagree with Walker. You were on a Can't roll wait. until you mentioned Walker. I'm not going to lie. I went too
1: far. I went too far. Rolls is fantastic. Um, Sandini writes in, at Santiago Matza, what are Adam's girlfriend's thoughts on Zlatan's current form? Good question. Why don't you yeah. ask her, Let's ask her.
2: I'm very worried.
1: Wow, there you have it. up. Thank you very much. Um, Sandini also asks, was Mahrez a fluke or is he actually quality Chris
2: uh, it's a very black and white question that Luke. I wouldn't say he's a fluke I would say yes he is a talented player um, one of the benefits he had last year as he was playing in a side that gave a lot of, a, a lot of space to the attackers um, because it tended to transition really quickly when teams were overstretched that helped him I also think that to some degree, his habits, from a dribbling perspective, have become a little bit telegraphed. People kind of know what he wants to do, theoretically, when he gets the ball. So I would say it's it's, it's not really a sophomore slump, per se, because he's in his third season now, I think. But it that's probably the best way to characterize it. It's a little bit of a sophomore slump as the teams around him adjust to, to kind of playing against him.
1: John Gibbons writes in, once again, says, Dave, if Evra is available in rooms, a few rumours uh, floating about, would you take him back or just leave the left-pack position as is with Damian slash Blind slash Shaw?
3: Obviously, bringing Patrice Evra back would be great for Manchester United in, in, in whatever, really? um, you know, the player, as a coach, as a just general, going around the chaining ground and having a bit of a laugh. Bringing up the morale for the boys, but yeah, I think bounce. in a te- in a tactical sense, the reason why you know the reason why David Moyes could have let him go was his his legs were going in a way that he he used to attack so well, but he started to not be able to get back into his position, and that obviously is an issue um, in the Premier League that transitions quite quickly. At the moment, with Michael Carrick at defensive midfield, potentially that'd still be an issue. If United were to have someone a little bit more mobile at defensive midfield, maybe even Daley Blind to cover in that um, cover at left back, that could work out quite nicely. Or even um, you know to drop between the centre backs and then Rojo to go out there. I just think that's a slight issue is Patrick Sever to to cover ground these days, but he's still have absolutely fantastic football. He showed at Juve that he. Um, tactically in, and you know his head is still very much in the game so I'd love to see Patrice ever return to Old mm-hmm. Trafford
1: 100% wonderful Instagram account as well at um, Dayson 1996 who's tragically changed his username from Gary Goals to what I assume is his real name uh, Yellowball Karimov um, Yellowball yold he says <laughs> uh, do Liverpool really all caps need Joe Hart. I think that's for you Lawrence. Um,
0: really no because I think uh, the reason they get Joe Hart is to upgrade on a goalkeeper I don't think he'd be such a vast upgrade on either of those goalkeepers in a sense mm. uh, and I think if they probably were to get a little deeper into the market and didn't maybe paint themselves as being so desperate then they might be able to find some more value but to have a, a good English goalkeeper may be of a benefit at some point so do they really need him no, no. could they take him and probably do well with him We'll see. We'll
1: see. Uh, Alexis Golaitzin long-time listener, long-time friend, he says, uh, with a lack of game time at Bayern, where should Thomas Muller go? Which club would suit him? Dave, what do you reckon?
3: Manchester United, just because I want to see Thomas Muller at Manchester United yeah. one time in my life. It's hard, not, it's hard
1: not to love Thomas Muller. Um, so I'll, I'll accept him. I think on this he case.
3: Should play anywhere could play at Barca, could play at Real, could play at any team in Europe, could play at Juventus. He's one of those players that has that X factor and that is very, very difficult to to pick up when you're not at the game to to see his movement off the ball. You know, another player that's quite interesting as well, Renato Sanchez, hasn't really played. Um, Potentially, would he be in there, you know, on on the move? Mm, Interesting. Um, Another one for you, Dave. Abdul says, have
1: you got a YouTube channel or Apple podcast channel, bruh? Obviously, Statman Dave, Dave Talks on YouTube, and obviously this very podcast. need to DM that guy, Dave, and, and get him to listen. I'll send um, him some BLs. Although, Dave was on another podcast earlier uh,
0: about Football Manager. So if you like Football Manager, Dave, where can people hear it? Uh,
3: the Deep Lying Podcast. It'll be out oh, wow. tomorrow, I do believe, where we, we go into my um, Football Manager career this oh, season, which is quite interesting.
0: It could also be a really That's good right. theoretical podcast
1: about telling very deep lies. <laughs> Uh, Alex James says will Man City finish in the top four yes why would you ask that question in Welsh uh, I'm not sure it just it just came over me my Tom Jones uh, impression just came back to me um, Ray Burkew said do you think that Sevilla are the league is Southampton in terms of main players and managers leaving but still staying near the top what do you reckon
0: Lawrence McKenna. Uh, you, you know what? Um, I think uh, most people probably um, compare quite quite poorly to Southampton in that sense. I think they've done uh, very well for a number of years because of the system they employ, and because uh, in many ways they have not matched up directly what Southampton are doing, but definitely um, managed to make a similar system work. Although uh, I'm not sure they they were the originators of it. I think another. Uh, another few clubs have tried to make it sustainable. The problem is Sevilla don't seem to be able to break the next um, level, if you like. Mm. Uh, not for long enough, anyway. And that, that seems to be the problem with um, most sides who try and break up uh, they, the, the duopoly that exists in that league.
1: At Kevin CFC says, Which MLS team has had the best off-season so far?
2: Chris? Oh... Uh... There's not been a massive amount of business done, really. My mind jumps to Atlanta United just because they've got um, Almiron, the, the Paraguayan, uh, Kenwin Jones, which might sound a bizarre one. But in general, the the, the squad they've built seems quite an exciting one. Um, other than that, I mean, Salt Rail Salt Lake have just signed Albert Rusnak, who will mean a lot to Man City fans. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's really not been that many landmark deals. I was discussing that with someone today, the idea that the league's maybe transitioning away from older-type veterans um, on big money. So, yeah, it's probably come back to me next month and I'll have a better answer on that one.
0: What's going to happen with the Combine in the next few weeks, Chris? They've got the idea that's
2: Combine. Yes, the, this is where all the college players um, come and, and try and strut their stuff and, and all that stuff. The, the number one pick last year was Jack Harrison, uh, a lovely young lad from Stoke-on-Trent um, who actually did really well he was injured for the first part of the season but then came in and did fantastic stuff former United, Man United academy kid um, actually so yeah there's there's a few guys to come out from that, that should be fairly interesting it, it's it's a difficult one to predict unless you're watching the college game regularly and there are some really good people Travis Clark, Charles Bohm uh, J.R. Elkerson who is a real person I promise and um, they all watch the collegiate game with, with regularity, um and will we'll tell you who the best players are. Mm-hmm. For me personally I tend to just pick up the combine and then, you know, base it off what I like the look of there, which is maybe a tad harsh.
1: Final question this week, um, so we have time for, is from the main man, Varun Joshi. He says what movie are you most looking forward to? In 2017, a non football question, but I like it. Um, oh, uh, oh, wait a minute. I've got some... obviously, uh, Baron Josh. You're looking, you're looking at Star Wars Episode 8. Come on,
2: the Wembley yeah. Cup of Saints, starring Adam Boltwood. Yes, <laughs> uh,
1: not technically a movie, but uh, yeah, that's one to look forward to. Uh, yeah, so
0: shut up. You've got,
1: um, <laughs> you've got Blade Runner, Blade Runner, You seen the Beast, the trailer, not so much. Um, looks like a carbon copy of the. Of the, the original uh, I don't like
0: that uh, No, because if it was a carbon copy It would be an animation It, so it looks anyway. like a,
1: uh, a, a non-carbon But yet extremely similar Looks like a
0: graphite copy, copy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly
1: um,
2: It's a lead copy yeah, It's a lead uh, copy in What
0: about ways. Power Rangers?
1: Mm, no, it looks terrible Triple uh, X, Return of the Thunder Cage Looks worse um, We're talking Baby Driver. Oh. We're talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 You know
2: Oh, yeah. I watched that over Christmas. Oh, the first two
1: It's so good, isn't it? It's so good. The um, little raccoon's the very cute. Oh, just brilliant. Um, and, King uh, Arthur? No, it looks worse. Uh, War
2: for the Planet of the Apes looks quite good. Oh, yeah, that looks decent. Um, Saw Legacy.
1: Saw, no. Uh, Spider Man as well. I never thought I'd say I'm excited to see another Spider Man movie because there's been a lot, but uh, the new one looks very good. Um, the Emoji Movie. Oh, painful. To... Oh, it's a, it's a thing. Mind you, There's also, the only well, thing I say about the Emoji Movie is when they said they were making a Lego Movie, you know, I said what are you want about lads, but that was fantastic. The Lego Movie, brilliant.
0: Uh, tra- uh, oh, uh, Train Spotting Two. Oh, Train Spotting Two. That's
2: yeah, easy, yes, that yes, I saw the trailer for that Dave, yeah.
1: have
3: you got any movies you're particularly uh, intrigued about? Um, I'd love to get the DVD for the 2016 17 Manchester United season so I can rewatch Mourinho winning <laughs> his first league title.
0: Babe, <laughs> are,
3: are, are you saying that's going to be the epic of 2017? Ooh. Uh, I think it'd be pretty decent. They are the underdogs, yeah. you
1: know, so it's an underdog Dave, who's story. Who's the lead man?
3: Um, it's going to be Jose Mourinho, isn't it? Probably played by someone like Brad Pitt, I A man that no one believed role. in. A man
1: who, you know, many thought were finished. And here he is lifting the title. It's a, would, it it's no, would it not be
0: someone story? more like maybe like a Robert De Niro type character sort of thing?
1: Wait, who would play Jose Mourinho in a movie of his life?
2: Oh, Denzel Washington? Be... He's got the character. <laughs> Paul Mourinho's mic. Denzel Washington as Paul Popper. <laughs> oh. um, who would play Surely,
0: Jose it, I mean, surely it would be someone with um, the, the dashing looks. Uh, it would be Ryan Reynolds. I'd love, um, I'd love to see Ryan Reynolds as Jose Mourinho. I'd love to see who's the guy. Adam Sandler.
1: No, no. <laughs> what about Brian Cranston, one of the finest actors working today? He could bring the intensity. Oh God, the anger.
2: As Mike Phelan leaving before the season. Yeah. <laughs> in
0: the movie, Mike Phelan becomes becomes um he starts to cook meth in
2: Hull. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson as Phil Jones with that little tuft of hair. Who would play Jose
1: Mourinho? Brad Pitt. George as... Clooney. Oh, George Clooney would be a good one. Mm. Um, I think Brian Thomas. Cranston is a good shot, actually. Um, Tom Cruise? Guys, tweet us uh, Cruise. At the front three. Who should play Jose Mourinho in a movie of his life? Hashtag Mourinho movie. Um, you can
2: cast three people in the yeah,
1: film. Who do you cast? In certain roles. Who'd oh, White oh, um, hey, as well. You need someone to play that. He'd be like a kind of a, a Machiavellian character behind the scenes, like you know, pulling the strings. Like that it could be interesting.
0: I guarantee you that Steve Bruce watches Gladiator and thinks of himself as the lead role.
2: See when you Literature said Steve Bruce, Steve Ricky Tomlinson jumped into my head.
1: I am Stevius Decimus poor. Meridius Um I think there's a whole lot of chat here, but before we get before we get too father far, of too, a shit
0: defender. <laughs>
1: Very good. Very good. There's, there's who, plays, big... who the question is. No, um,
0: no, who who plays, who plays surely it's Brock Lesnar who plays. Um, who's the guy who managed Leicester before Anieri? Nigel, Nigel
2: Pearson.
1: No, Nigel Pearson. Minnie Jones. Brock, Brock Lesnar. Nigel Pearson. Apparently, in this rumored long just saying Jamie Vardy movie, uh, Minnie Jones is playing Nigel Pearson. Okay, really? Yeah, just so you know, uh,
0: I can see it, it, distorted. It, well. it distorted there on Skype for a second. Now, I thought you said Mini
1: Driver. Um, mm. Did I? It really would be. Bruce Willis is trending on Twitter. Maybe he's in the running uh, to play. Uh, to play. <laughs> Feelings. radio. Mike feeling. um No, it's Jason Statham for Mike Feeney. I think. Anyway, guys, tweet us on Twitter. Uh, that's how Twitter works. Uh, at the front three. <laughs> <Thanks for laughs> the <work>. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. Uh, hashtag radio. Um, <laughs> it's been a long podcast. We've been talking for a long time. Um, I'm mentally Maybe Steve fatigued. Carell. There's like... um.
0: No. I don't know. Uh, Wood- George
2: Mendes. Yeah, oh God, that'd be great. Or the, what's he is the a serious actor it The bad oh, guy in Ocean's Eleven? The one who owns the Andy casino? Garcia. Oh, yeah. I think he's George Mendes.
1: That is a perfect show. Um, guys, I said... Ombre could play Thank uh, Conte. Thank you so much for listening to The Front Free. Hope you enjoyed uh, this Q&A podcast. Uh, until Monday... Um, when we'll be back reviewing the FA Cup action Lawrence where can the good people where can the whole find you
0: uh, I'm not very active online at the moment mm. um, you've got a so... brand new video
1: out though that people can go and check out to see more of your face
0: uh, yeah I mean I, I guess you could go and slash football see our latest series or you can head over to uh, our sister channel uh, Statman Dave where he yeah.
1: does plenty of stats on the mm. weekend on Statman Dave you can get lost in stats and tactics on slash football, you can get lost in football. You see, very nice. Good. Um, I see. You. Dave, I got left in the edit. Dave, where can the good people find you?
3: Um, I don't know. Maybe at my house. Come Ooh. round for a cup of tea. A cheeky cup of Seen tea. Seen it. Seen it on the the vlog. So just try and find it in London, <laughs> and I'll make you a cup of tea. Ooh, you find challenge. my house, I'll make you a cup of tea. That's a oh. um, dangerous game there from from, from Dave uh, Chris
1: where can people find you
2: uh, currently on Adobe Premiere frantically Ooh. bashing buttons and realising why nothing works nice. uh, and Twitter as well at K-H-E-N-E-H-E
0: stop messaging me
2: Stuff. Right? Um, oh mate I'm the worst for that sorry you can, you can how me, do you add something yeah. you it. can
1: find me on Twitter at Adam Brott, with do come and we'll follow me there uh, and check out the Front for YouTube channel as well. Until Monday, have a great weekend.